The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and we're going to have a really wonderful show this afternoon. I have two women with me today. The first is... Uh, Jocelyn Ewart, who uh, many of you know as our monthly contributor uh, on financial matters. She is the founding principal of Entrust Financial, and she's going to be talking about uh, the best way to find your financial advisor and also the difference between male uh, advisors versus female advisors. I'm anxious to, to hear what her take is on that. And uh, our very special guest this afternoon is going to be Krista Shirky, and Krista is the founder and president of M. Pitcher, uh, which is a creative firm that specializes in campaigns that support our veterans and military families uh, initiatives. So first, we're going to be joined by Jocelyn. Jocelyn, are you there? I'm here, Susan. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you. So I'm very anxious to hear about uh, your topic today and what you have learned is uh, some of the differences between male and female advisors. And, of course, for our listeners, um, what are some good tips for choosing the best one? Well, uh, one of my favorite topics, of course, and uh, I want to remind all of your listeners, Susan, about the recent publication of Balancing Act, Wealth Management, Straight Talk for Women, and the book website, balancingactbook.com as well as what's sometimes overlooked, which is 100% of the book proceeds, it's only $14.95, are directed to a Temple University scholarship fund for students with financial needs. So any of your listeners who are inspired to kind of move themselves along on their financial journey might want to take a look at this book on Amazon. Um, also, I would love feedback uh, from your listeners, so I welcome all feedback as well as a review uh, of the book on Amazon. That is really crucial to spreading the message, and this is germane to what we're talking about today because women do think about money differently from men, and one of the purposes of having written the book is my intention to help women find their financial voice. I was lucky I was able to do this, um, but many, many women, despite their uh, professional accomplishments, um, really haven't moved forward in terms of having their financial voice. Many women still fall back on the tradition of the men in their lives making the truly crucial financial decisions. You know, Jocelyn, one of the yeah. one of the nice things I just want to point out about your book is the um, the inclusion of personal stories that you uh, put into the book. So it's not just you know advice and facts and tips. You give some great examples of real life stories where um, you know people have figured out what the best plan is. So I just wanted to mention that. Well, I'm really glad you did, Susan, and I think that's a really good example. The stories in the book were collected um, over a period of 15 years working with clients 
and all clients approach you know their goals and their decision making somewhat differently what their what their priorities are uh, what they want their money to do for them and so it's really exciting to be working with people to help them get the results that they want um, and in terms of the specific theme about women and helping them find their financial voice one of the facts out there now in this uh, needle moved while I was writing the book is that women now control more than half the wealth in America and we read reports daily of how we have greater longevity so very pragmatically women do need to know how to do the right thing and as you just uh, kindly mentioned Susan hopefully the stories in the book which are very diverse a uh, wide range of, of individual stories as well as wide range of financial concepts that they illustrate, hopefully these will help inspire women and help uh, move them, you know, give them that confidence they need to uh, take a more active role. Um, interestingly, uh, I have been doing a lot of interviews since I published the book, and one of the questions I'm often asked is how women and men are different in terms of how they think about money, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to comment on that today. Um, and I think a good starting place is that to mention and point out so that women really recognize this, traditional financial advising is structured from the male perspective. And it's been my experience that for women to be empowered financially, they need financial services delivered differently. Now, I hasten to add here that when I mention in front of men that women think differently about money and they need financial services delivered in a different way, they often kind of bristle as though we're criticizing them or we are disrespecting their perspective. And this is not true in the least. Um, so I'm going to begin this conversation by pointing out a similarity, and that is that like men, women expect their portfolios to perform well. They want their portfolio to serve as the foundation of their financial house. Uh, but for most men, having their investment performance um, doing well and percolating along, that's really their end game. But for women, having the portfolio or their investments do well is just the beginning because women want more than good portfolio results from whatever advisor they choose to work with. They want to be listened to and educated. Women are more comfortable embracing a long-term perspective, and they want to collaborate and partner with a team of advisors who has taken the time to understand their values, their needs, and their interests. Quite simply, a way to say this is that in addition to good portfolio results, women want to know what their money can do for them. And often, and often that involves some... Um type of uh, charitable efforts, doesn't it, and philanthropy? Yes. Yeah. Women are very charitably minded, more so than men, and that's often part of the planning that's very important to them. And, of course, I'm thrilled by that because that means that with women having more money at their disposal that uh, and their interest in using the money as a catalyst for positive social change, I'm thinking that's going to be a win-win uh, for all of us. 
Um, and it's interesting. I, I have a very recent example of how differently men and women think about money. Uh, I was interviewed by the host of a national radio show uh, dedicated to money. That's the theme every, in an, every week. Um, and this show, you know, just like yours, Susan, uh, reaches all across the country. And the gentleman interviewing me really had difficulty processing my answers. Uh, he kept trying to reframe my responses to his questions using his personal investments-only financial perspective. Hmm. The fact that for women, money considerations go well beyond good investment results, he really had a lot of trouble computing that. So it was interesting, that right, is in the interesting. middle of yeah. spreading the word, that it, it gets repeated. Right, right. Um, well, I'm sure, you, you know, you educated him a bit, you know, um, being a female financial advisor yourself, you know, to – kind of give a different perspective? Well, one, one can only hope that after the interview he actually listened to it again. I don't know. It was very interesting in the, in the middle of it when I could tell that he was kind of, um, you know, I just, I, he, he kept, like I said, he just kept the way I would say it is he tried to reframe right. my responses to his questions. So right. Interesting. It, yeah. We don't do that on this show. <laughs> no, you don't. On your show, we get the real banana. That's right. That's right. We know who the people really are. And That's thank right. you so much. Uh, we love your show, and it's just fantastic to share a few of these uh, pieces of information with your listeners. Yeah, I love it. It's a, it's always some great insight, you know, just kind of a quick snippet. And, um, Jocelyn, we'll, we'll be talking to you again next month. And, again, the people can get your book at, is it Amazon.com? And then, yep. Okay. And then Amazon. just put, com. yeah, Amazon.com. Thank you, Jocelyn. Have a good rest of the week. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Um, just a quick mention before I bring on our, our special guest this afternoon, I wanted to congratulate Dr. Jeanette Graff, who um, won our contest. We had a contest on our, our new Instagram page, and she has won a free copy of Tish Squirlero's book, Head Trash, and also um, a free consult. So we wanted to congratulate her and encourage you to um, follow us on Instagram because we're going to have some future contests similar uh, and give away some wonderful books that are written by women that are guests of uh, women to watch. Also, if you're listening and you want to call in and join the show and have some questions uh, for Krista, feel free to call 888 888- 329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. So I'd like to welcome this afternoon to the show again uh, my guest, Krista Shirky. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's right, yes. I couldn't figure out any other way to pronounce that. Um, Krista is the founder and president of M. Pitcher, and it is a creative firm that specializes in campaigns that support our veterans and military family initiatives. Krista, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I very much appreciate your last-minute appearance. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. We connected recently, and um, so I was very thrilled that you're a local girl, a Bucks County native. That I am. And we're able to come and and also join me in the studio. I'm often here alone (laughs) with my (laughs) guests on the phone, so I always love when I have uh, someone that I can look across the table from and speak to directly. Let me ask you real quick first where the name M. Pitcher came from. I know where it came from, but I want you to to talk about it for the guests. My girl, Molly Pitcher. Yeah, Molly Pitcher. Um, Probably one of the most famous field artillery wives um, to serve our our country. And, um, you know, as as this venture was evolving, I would kind of find myself 
thinking about it and and I needed a name that really meant something and um, you know it, it it symbolizes the way military spouses have always in times of need stepped up and and did what is necessary to not only support our spouses but also our country yeah. um, and and so that's where this is going yeah I love that I, I mean I think it's always really smart to have a name you know whatever your business is that has some kind of emotional attachment you know it always brings you back to you know the reason that you're doing it um, and so you are an entrepreneur you have your own business you're launching a new business I am you are um, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes but sure. I want to I want to find out a little bit more about you and uh, where you came from and what is really behind your drive and your motivation to um, not only do the work that you do in, in PR and marketing and communications, but in particular this field. So you did grow up in this area outside of Philadelphia. I, I did. Understand. I did. And you happened to go to the high school my husband graduated from, oh. Germantown Academy. Yes, I'm a graduate of Germantown Academy. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the young uh, Krista Shirky, what what kinds of activities you were involved in as a young girl and, and what it was that you were hoping to do when you grew up at that time? Um, I think I was always extremely motivated as a child, both um, academically and athletically. Um, from a very young age, I thought I was going to be a congresswoman, um, you know, yet to Which be determined. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, and, you uh, you know, I remember as an elementary school student telling people I was going to go to Princeton. Um, and, you know, it was just I was excited about life and the opportunities that, you know, it holds, things that are, are unknown. Um, and I just always wanted to be my best self, even from a very young age. And I'm lucky to have very supportive parents um, and extended family that, you know, supported, always put academics first. Mm -hmm. um, that came before anything else. I wasn't allowed to go to sports practices unless the homework was finished, um, you know, or if my grades were kept up. And then, you know, I, I was a swimmer. And um, mm. I swam at Germantown and Academy. I, that's a tough program. <laughs> I'm familiar. Yes, and I started there at a very, very young age um, when I was eight and, and grew up swimming there and was captain in high school. Um, and so that really instilled in me a lot of the principles that entrepreneurs need, which is determination, perseverance, you know, failing and being able to get back up and and do it again um and and do that in front of people and and compete and it's very much the same in in business as well mm -hmm. um you know and and the dedication and and the commitment to the team and the sport and, and to yourself to be the best. I, and those are things that I've carried forward to today. Yeah, well, I would have – swimming to me is, <laughs> is such a disciplined sport, right? I think about, my gosh, getting up at the crack of dawn, mm -hmm. right, and putting in all that effort and that work before you even, you know, go to your first class. Yeah, I look back on it and wish I could get myself to do something like that again, but I think I'm traumatized. <laughs> well, you're a little busy. <laughs> yeah. You're a little busy now. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I was in the water, depending on the day, anywhere between 5.30 and 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's um, hard. I'd put in anywhere from 5 to 6 
thousand yards in the morning plus dry land training and then head off to a full day of school and then return for another three hours or or so so um you know looking back on it it's it's it was a remarkable very challenging experience that really prepared um, me for a lot of the challenges that you face as an adult and especially as a parent tell me what you feel about what you did um we talk about athletics for young girls in here often and and i think it's such a great Um, it's such a great activity. It's such a great thing to be involved in. What's your take on that as far as kind of keeping, keeping young women out of trouble and keeping the, uh, in helping to instill that, that confidence and self-esteem? Uh, what's your take on that? You know, because I was swimming and practicing with, with guys, I firmly believe that I could do anything that they could do. I mean, there were, you know, sets where I could beat them. Um, so you know, I went into college with that notion that there's nothing separating, you know, me from anyone else out there. And, and hard work and determination, you know, those are the proving factors that can help you succeed. Um, and I think this the structure of athletics is such that it does keep you out of trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't go to the mall and hang out on Friday nights because I had to be back in the water at, you know, 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Right. Um, And we would train until noon, and then I'd go and do dry land until, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was was very structured, but at the same time it was an outlet, and, and we had a lot of fun together, a lot of good times, a lot of jokes that we still talk about at the dinner table to this day. You know, yeah. oh, my gosh, you remember so-and-so. And, and, yeah. and, uh, it wasn't that long ago. You, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> but it's, Yeah, but it's yeah. amazing how fast it actually does because I think in my mind I'm, I'm still that 16-year-old right. girl. Oh, we always are. That's <laughs> the age, too. That's yeah. the age. Yeah. So t- what, was, um, what was challenging for you those years then growing up? I mean, that's a, that's a very intense, competitive um, environment, Germantown Academy. For those of our listeners who are not familiar, it's an um, uh, interact school mm-hmm. and, um, you know, highly, high, I'll say highly competitive and uh, intense. And it's not a place where you um, are not involved in, right. you know, multiple activities outside of the classroom. What were some of the challenges for you growing up? I think the real challenge was, you know, knowing that there are people that are always going to be better than I am. Um, and wanting to be an, an excel, it could get frustrating at times. Um, there was always someone there that was much better than me academically. There was always someone that was, you know, Olympic record holder swimming next mm-hmm. to me in the pool. And it was humbling but inspiring at the same time. Um, but not getting down on yourself when you're when you're training and you're in the presence of, you know, wonderful students that are so bright and so smart um, that, you know, being okay with yourself. Yeah. So I think you, that was a challenge, yeah. you know, and it's something that I still I, I still work on to this very day. Yeah, that's hu- human nature, I think, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think, it, you know, for young women, we deal with it, or, or our experience is different. Um, those insecurities, you know, growing up are different from, from young men's. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
so you went on to study history in I college. Did. I did. And then well, I guess as you had an interest in history, you know, growing I up. I love history. Yeah. Um, I, I loved kind of dissecting the layers of it, um, you know, the way art weaved into it and socioeconomics. And, you know, it wasn't just the dates and, and the facts. It was many layers for me that kind of was like a puzzle to figure out why things happened and what the aftermath was. So I, I loved it, and I developed um, a real appreciation for it at Germantown Academy. Yeah. Um, my AP American History course, which I guess, you know, as we're sitting here, it all comes back, and that you can attribute that to my M picture as well. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's the, when I think about myself back in the day, history, I was not – very interested in it and then as an adult I wished I had paid more attention because it's the stories it's it, the stories it's the stories of history that are so not only fascinating and, and interesting but important to know yes yeah so tell me at what point did you just you went on to get a, a master's in public policy I did and tell me what your thought process was then is that at a time when you started to think about perhaps going into some form of politics. Yes, I I was ready to jump into to politics. Um, I had thought that, you know, I was going to serve um, on Capitol Hill in some type of, um, you know, uh, chief of staff position, or that's what I aspired to do at, at the time um, to help craft legislation. And, and as I got more experience with some of my um, – my work in Washington, D.C., working with the media as well. Mm -hmm. um, I found that very interesting. I was always a, a news junkie. I loved watching the news and reading about the news, not just one source, but multiple sources yes. to really try, try to understand yes. Yes. Um, what the real, real deal is. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it just kind of led to, to where I am today. So, um, but I met my husband when I was in D.C., and that, that, started, right? a, that started a whole new adventure. Yeah, <laughs> as it often does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted – you mentioned the media, and I had this as one of my questions. I'm just going to jump ahead for a second because, obviously, what's going on in, in our country today is – I mean, it's just – It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I wanted to know, because you have spent some time with, with the media, um, that do you believe that the media accurately portrays – what um, what action? And this is more to do with our veterans. What our veterans' struggles are, and what happens to them. Do you think that there's an honest portrayal of that in the media? I think it really depends on on the source and the journalist um, or the media outlet. I think you have to you know take a look at that first because there's always an angle or an agenda that is trying to be pushed in in one way or another. Um, and having worked in media, you know, there are definitely people with, with platforms out there that want to advocate for certain policies or certain ideas. And, you know, it's supposed to be unbiased when you're working with the media and stories are written. But, you know, it's human nature and there's definitely slants and everything. But, but with that said, I think, you know, we're delving deeper into – some of the issues that veterans and military families face um, with more honesty and and real ambition for the truth and what the, the true story is behind the scenes because I think there's two sides to it. I think, you know, there's the, the, the strong, the brave um, side, but then there's also the, the very human side um, that sometimes 
you know, is swept under the carpet. Yeah, I, I do think it's important, and there's more transparency today than ever. And, and I'm, a, you know, with the internet, um, it has changed everything. Um, there's good and bad, but I think it's it's a good thing that we we are more knowledgeable people that are not you mm-hmm. know, in the service. But so let's go back for a minute. You met your husband, and he is a lieutenant colonel in the yes. army. So. Tell me where you met him. What was the circumstance? I um, I was in graduate school at the time. I was in my last year um, getting my uh, master's in public policy. Um, and so I was I was working full time at the Center for Strategic Tax Reform. Um, and, uh, you know, I was busy. So at the time... Match.com was, really? <laughs> yeah, was very, well, um, and now, and now, and now, um, yes. was popular. And, you know, I was at the point where I was like, oh, I'm tired of just kind of aimlessly going out and hoping I meet somebody. And, um, so I, I met my husband on match.com and, um, and I wasn't going to show up for the first date to tell you the truth. I remember the day very vividly. It was downpouring in Washington, D.C., and we were meeting um, at a restaurant right next to the Treasury Department, and the street was flooded. Mm. And I said to myself, I am not walking blocks in the downpour to go on just another (laughs) board. some stranger. (laughs) And I remember pulling around the block, and I said, okay, Krista, if one of these cars leaves, you're going to pull in, you're going to go in. But if no cars leave, you're going to go home. Ah, you were waiting for the sign. And lo and behold, there was a car that left. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, That's we're going. So and I ran yeah. the half block and um, and in, into the restaurant and met him. And I have to say, you know, I looked at him and, and I, I knew I was home. It was like a really weird um, connection, very warm and... We never left each other's side from oh, that day. That's so nice. Yeah. Now, is he from this area? He is from the eastern shore of Virginia. Of Virginia. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, a little bit different backgrounds. Yeah. He, he grew up um, with a farming family, and uh, and you know, obviously, I'm from the suburbs of Philadelphia. Right. So. Right. Well, so <laughs> yeah. you obviously you knew in advance. I'm guessing you knew in advance what um, what career he was in that he was in the army. I did not. Oh, you did not. He okay. was he was working on, and we we joke about this to this day. He he was working um, as a liaison from the Joint Chiefs of Staff's office to the Senate. So he was in the Senate building, and whenever a senator needed to travel, either domestically or internationally, he would escort them and plan the trip. Um, you know, particularly into into conflict zones at the time. And so he wore suits and he had a la- American flag lapel pin and he always wore Ray-Ban sunglasses. And I worked right next to the White House, so I, I, I thought he was Secret Service. Oh. <laughs> um, so, you know, it wasn't until, um, he re- you know, he talked mostly about his work on on. Uh, on Capitol Hill and 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 policy and things like that, and of course we talked about you know other personal things, but um, it wasn't until I was hook, line, and sinker that I really found out that he was an <laughs> army officer. Oh my gosh! Because I'm thinking, you know, that's that is not the traditional you know route, and when you meet someone. Um, who's in this service, it, it puts a different, you know, you have to give that some serious thought, yes. right? Because it's, it brings with it all kinds of different, um, I don't 
don't know what the word is, different um, parameters around what your relationship will and can be, right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. So um, when you did find out, what was your first question to him? You know, I don't, I don't remember that exactly, but I think I usually go back to asking what the story is. Like, what was it that made you decide to, to do that? Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm the type of person that just really needs to, to understand the whys and, uh, and you know, it's much easier to support when you, you understand the background. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I looked at it. I love to travel. So I was like, oh, what a great opportunity. You know, they say you know what you're getting into, but you really, truly don't. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think I, I was definitely looking at the positive sides. What what was his why? Did he have something, you know, was there a, um, something that precipitated that decision for him? It, it was his, his chance to go to college. Okay. Um, yeah, to yeah. get to go ROTC and, and to go to college and, you know, to – start a different path of life other than than farming at the time okay listen we're going to take a quick break and when we come back i want to talk a little bit about um what happened to you in your 20s as you started to um i guess date your who is now your husband yes um and uh, you've been very open about it we'll talk about it when we come back we'll be right back There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography, an automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Are you the parent of a daughter in middle school? If so, I must tell you about an upcoming event at Mount St. Joseph Academy on Sunday, October the 16th at 12 noon. As the parent of an alum, I know firsthand the value of their academic excellence, athletic and arts programs. This private all-girls Catholic high school in Montgomery County provides the foundation our daughters need to go on to leadership roles at top universities and future careers. I know my daughter did. To register for the open house on Sunday, October the 16th at 12 noon, go to msjacad.org backslash open house. And be sure to ask about their financial assistance and scholarship programs when you visit msjacad.org backslash open house. I'm Jocelyn Ewart, founding principal of Entrust Financial in Wayne, Pennsylvania. And it is my pleasure to share financial tips with you during my monthly segment on Women to Watch. I hope you are a regular listener like I am and that you are finding the personal finance tips I provide helpful. Some of the topics we have discussed so far this year are how to get organized, how to help your children learn good money habits, how to create that all-important travel budget, and what steps are needed as you prepare for retirement. Now I have truly exciting news for you news you can share with your family and friends. As a veteran certified financial planner professional, I just published my first book, Balancing Act, Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. It is filled with inspiring real case studies to help you and other women move past fear, build confidence, 
and make the right decisions without financial concerns. Just go to Amazon.com to purchase your copy. And please, write a review for Balancing Act Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. I look forward to reading it. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. I have with me this afternoon a local Philadelphia girl, which I always love. Uh, her name is Krista Shirky. She's the founder and president of Empitcher, a creative firm, and she's also married to a le- lieutenant colonel in the Army, um, which is, is what led her to also become the strategic communications advisor excuse me, for the Global War on Terror Memorial Foundation. Um, And we're going to get into that in a few minutes. Something I'm very um, uh, proud of, Krista, for for wanting to talk about is something that she has struggled with as a young woman, um, and I'm I'm sure it has a little bit to do with the fact that she's married to someone who um, is in the service. And that is, um, in your early 20s, Krista, you started to feel... um, anxiety and depression, which is very, very common, but rarely spoken about publicly. So um, I I had a couple questions for you on that. First, I wanted to know if you feel it began in your 20s, and what was it that you feel precipitated that if there was something in particular, or do you feel that, you know, that, that condition, I'll say, is something that would have happened to you no matter what your circumstance was. Sure. Um, I, I definitely think that, um, you know, it's it's genetic. I think looking back and, and really having thought through this um, and worked with anxiety and depression, um, that I've always had it in some form or another, but it really didn't become pronounced until my late teens, early, early twenties. Um, and, and that was the first time that, um, I got treatment for it was in college. So it was in college. So it was before you met, what's your husband? Mark, 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 yes. So it was before that. So it really didn't have to do yet with worrying about, you know, your, your partner going to, you know, going to be in danger. Um, tell me what, uh, did you tell anybody? I told my my parents. Um, I think you know when I was first diagnosed, and and at the time it was not diagnosed as anxiety; it was just uh, depression. Okay. Um, do you think was that a proper diagnosis? Do you think? Looking back, no. But the field has come so far, um, you know, in such a short amount of time that I, I just don't think that the symptoms, you know, maybe were as pronounced as as that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it was during prior to the first deployment that I started to feel anxiety. Um, you know, I was always nervous, but I always channeled it into like this nervous type of energy. Um, and uh, you know, I was I remember sitting at my my desk. I was working at a public relations firm in Kansas City at the time. Um, my husband and I were just married, and he was. Uh, getting ready to go on his first deployment to Iraq. And I started having these excruciating pains in my back. Like Mm. someone would just come up and and stab me between the shoulder blades. And I thought, oh, man, I need to go to a chiropractor. You know what? And I would go and I would go, you know, twice a week during my lunch break. And I would and nothing would alleviate it. And then he 
deployed. And at that time, we were what's called an OCONUS move. So it was um, outside of the continental United States, <laughs> but we were moving to Hawaii because we were going to be stationed there from Kansas. And, and what year was this? This remember? was, oh my gosh, 2008? Okay. 2009? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I moved home during that time period, and 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 it kind of subsided. I really, I, w- I was running a lot, um, and that, that helped me tremendously. Um, it wasn't until the second deployment that I had my first panic attack, and I had no idea what was going on. I literally thought I was having a heart attack. Um, you know, I had launched a business while we were in, in Kansas. Um, my first uh client was actually my old employer. Um, you know, I freelanced for them and, and so I was involved in that and then I carried it through to Hawaii and really threw myself into, into my work during, um, the second deployment. Um, but I remember waking up one morning and I was going to a client meeting and I was walking into the bathroom and all of a sudden I felt like I couldn't breathe. Like my, my throat closed up. Um, and I just started sweating and, I had that intense pain in my back again. And I called my girlfriend and I said, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on with me, but we have to go to the doctor. I need you to, I need you to drive me. And I never do anything like that. Yeah. Um, Or to the hospital. Were you going to the ER? I, you know, I'm the kind of person that's just kind of like, oh, I don't want to draw attention to myself or whatever. I think I'm having a heart attack, but I don't want to bother anybody. (laughs) So we're sitting in my, you know, the the family practice office um, and I'm sitting there like, you know, crying and trying to breathe and. And the doctor pulled me back in, and, and he started talking to me about, you know, what I thought caused it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know, but then I just broke down and, and started crying. And it really was um, – it was this the stress of the deployment of being, you know, very far from my family and, and my friends that I grew up with here. Um, and we went from one deployment cycle – into the next. So we did what was called a back-to-back deployment. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband knew he was going to deploy back to Iraq during um, that first deployment. It was the first deploy- deployment for me. It was his second. He actually went in with the 101st Airborne um, and worked his way from you know Baghdad all the way up to, to Mosul um, and as part of the, the liberation there. Um, and uh, so this was his second, my my first, and then I couldn't even really process it. I felt like I was just trying to survive and get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I knew it, I was dead set in the middle of a, a second deployment. This time with the training involved, it was 15 months. And, um, you know, your body acts in, in weird ways when it has to channel stress. And would you say it was more worry about him or was it more the loneliness of being on your own worry worry. I've always been a very um independent person Mm -hmm. um stubbornly so I think from from a young age yeah um but it was and and like I said I'm a news junkie and I I have my master's degree in public policy and so you know I'm watching this on on the news Mm. and I'm digesting it Mm -hmm. and I realize I have zero control 
Mm. I have zero control over if my husband comes back or not. Mm. And to go through that once, to say goodbye to somebody and not know if they're going to come back and fully understand what's going on, you know, over there. Yeah, how do you put that at? There's no, I mean, you, there's no way to put that you out can't, of your head. You can't. And the deployment cycle that military families have been through since 9-11, um, my husband and I affectionately referred to it as the meat grinder because you can't even process it. And, you know, as I, I, like I said, I always like to figure out the why. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I thinking like this? Or why, you know, is my body reacting like this? And so I would go and I would, you know, read health journals and things like that. Um, at the time, research was coming out about what the emotional response to deployment were um, and still are for families that are going through this. And what they find is that you you go through the same cycles um, as if you lost somebody, if someone that you loved died, and and you go through the denial and you go through the anger, and then finally the acceptance. Well, I never got to get to the acceptance phase because we were constantly deploying, mm-hmm. um, and you know the 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 stress of that. Um, and, and what that does, not only to your body, but also, you know, psychologically, um, it, 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 it numbs you. Um, you have to, to survive. I love my husband so much, and he's my best friend. And the thought that I could lose him, not once, not twice, three times. By the third time, out of survival, I just was numb. Yeah, yeah. And and where where is he today? Is he home now? Or is he he is um, at at War College, Army War College in, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. But very lucky that he is um, what's called a road runner. So <laughs> he'll come back and forth. Um, you know, about one night a one night a week, one day a week, he'll have a, a reading day, um, okay. and he'll come home for that. And so um, and he's home every weekend. And long weekends when they have it, and uh, we're very lucky that yeah. he's, you know, at this point in in his career as a senior officer, um, and we're able to have that time together. And uh, not knowing anything about, you know, how all of this works as a senior officer, is the, is he at no longer at risk to be deployed, or would he be at risk to be deployed because of his status? And you know, right Absolutely. now there there's another, you know, campaign. Um, happening in in Mosul. Yes. Yes. So is there a chance that he could go? Um, There's always a chance that that he could go. Um, You know, I I think that I've learned to better deal with what's in front of me than, you know, trying to worry about what could be. Mm. Um, And so, yes, there's there's always the chance that that he could go. Um, But Together we've, and because of you know uh, my mental health situation, we've we've made some changes. Um, you know he's no longer I think you know planning to go tactical, um, which would put him back, you know into into the fight. Um, so and the army has been great. They've really worked with us because yeah. they they um, 
are now understanding the tolls that it has taken on our families since yeah. 9-11. Yeah, and obviously um, this must be very common throughout, you know, have you had an opportunity to talk to other wives um, no, or you husbands? Know. You know, it goes both ways. Um you know, it's funny. Sometimes when you're you're living um, on a military installation and, and the wives will get together at the end of, of a cul-de-sac and the kids are out playing and, um, you know, we give each other a glass of wine. And it's once the inhibitions are kind of lowered a little bit that you start sharing with each other and you open up a little bit because, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that we're taught, but it is implied that we have to be strong um, and you know, not create unnecessary stress, particularly when our partners are over in war zones. I mean, they have enough to focus on. Um, so, you know, there's really a strong camaraderie. But it's once you really start talking that, you know, you you start hearing some of the stories. And I just got to the point during, you know, the end of the second deployment, beginning of the third, where I was just like, you know, if I can share with people that, you know, I have these issues, particularly as a battalion commander's spouse, maybe it'll help somebody take that necessary step to, to go to the doctor. Yeah, to, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I read that you had said that in, an, in another interview that, um, in general, there's this sense that you don't share and you don't talk about it. And, and I felt that's such pressure. Um, that it, it's so obvious that it would be difficult and there would be worry to have a spouse, you know, um, deployed and that as a group that's left behind that you should and would get together and talk about it, you know, to ease. So I was surprised. I was surprised to read that. The, but yeah, I think they're, ma- they're making huge strides as yeah. far well, you're as... you're a part of that, and yeah. I, I really commend you for that. But I there's think. not much out there as far as, you know, mental health advocacy for military spouses. Wow. Um, there should you, be. It, there's a huge focus on the soldiers and, and, and veterans, mm-hmm. Um but you you can't find any any research studies on you know suicide rates among military spouses or you know mental health issues or you know really anything like that unless yeah. you truly truly dig. Yeah, I mean they go hand in hand. Yes. right? The, the focus should be on the families, you know, as a whole, as a unit. Um, let's let's get into. I want to talk about this, the work that you're doing today sure. for this global war to. on terror memorial foundation. And my first question is, how did did they approach you? to do this you know it's um it's it's funny it it was um a fellow uh marine corps spouse when we were um in hawaii and she and i went out to lunch and we had coffee together we were both pregnant at the time she was about six months further along than i was yeah. and do, we, you, do you have a son i, know I you do have yes and i have do, a, I have a four-year-old one? just one okay yes yeah. um and, uh, you know, I remember both of us waddling to the Starbucks to sit there and to talk because she was running a PR and events firm at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to say, oh, my gosh, five years later, I saw her post on Facebook about um, needing to have some business cards and uh, a trifold uh, pamphlet printed for the Global War on Terror Memorial Fund Foundation, excuse me, that um, was just really launching at the time. And I responded to her. Obviously, I'm, I'm in the business, and I had contacts, and I was like, hey, I can get this done for you, no problem. 
and then I started just gradually, you know, working with the the team that that was in place at the time, and it just evolved into something bigger and 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 you know, it's very very meaningful. Um, uh, I was at the most recently the um, dedication of the. Uh, first responders memorial at ground zero um this past uh, anniversary of of 9-11 and it was the first time that i had been to the site i've been in business many times with clients in new york city but never went and um you know i took some time by myself to really kind of take it in and it, it was a little eerie because the the morning that the that memorial was dedicated. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, and it was very much similar, um, similar to to that day. Um, so you know, it's just been um, it's it's been a great experience because it's put together the smorgasbord that I call of of a career that I've I've tried to maintain throughout all of this. Um, you know, way back when I started off as as a history teacher. Right. Um, so, you know, there's a component of education to this, educating um, others uh, about the global war on, on terror and, you know, military families and veteran outreach. And there's a policy side to it. Um, you know, we just had a bill introduced onto the floor with 31 co-sponsors. Um, there is a piece of legislation currently called the Commemorative Works Act of 1986. And that right now restricts other memorials from being built on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Um, and Outside of ones that are already tapped to be built there? There aren't any there at this. So pretty much they've, they've closed the mall. Um, so the last one was the World War II memorial that was built, um, but there's a clause in it that says that a war has to be over, I believe, for uh, 10 years before there can be um, legislation introduced to have a memorial. Um, because isn't this on, isn't on the, the one you're working on um, supposed to be on, yes. on the mall? It yes. Is. Okay. And that's part of the the um, outreach and and you know, gaining of support to have this piece of legislation, um, you know, exempted for, for this memorial. Will this take forever or is it something that you see could be done, you know, in the next couple of years? You know, there's, there's a lot of support, um, and particularly from, um, the Vietnam, um, era. Those veterans have astoundingly, They've reached out and supported this. And Jan Scruggs, who is the, um, he just retired, but he was the president and founder of the Vietnam War Memorial. He's the the man that had this built, you know, and, and made it all come together. He's joined our board. Oh, good. Um, and so we're moving in the right direction. Um, just had testimony before the National Parks Commission in Washington, D.C., um, so, and we have a lot of support in, in the House of Representatives. Okay. Can I ask you, you know, I, I'm not going to get into um, who you're voting for or <laughs> what you think of the election. We're not going to go there. But what I do, you know, it's going to go one way or the other, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be two very vast, vastly different outcomes um, in this election. What I want to know is what issue would you like to most see addressed in 2017 um, with regard to the VA? 
I I would like to see um, you know veterans have the ability to to use their military ID to see whatever provider they need to see. Um, you know, no more month long lines um, to to get in to to get treated. Um, you know, I I think that they should have access to the health care that they need and when they need it. Yeah. I think that's in- incredibly important. And, and of course, it's. I think when it, it came to be known that there were those kind of problems, we were all very, very surprised that that could be an issue for our veterans, that they would be waiting months and months and months to see a doctor. I wasn't surprised that, at all. I, well, and you probably yeah. you, know, you have the firsthand knowledge. Uh, yeah, um, I, I, was, I, I just... Um, you know, particularly when we were deployed to Hawaii, um, it, if you were going to be seen on post, um, it could be months to to get an appointment. Um, and if for some reason you had to reschedule that appointment, God help you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, my husband and I made the decision to, um, you know, pay the little bit extra so I could see you know, private providers of mm-hmm. my choice. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I know, I know a lot of families, um, you know, that it takes forever to, to, to get in and um, see the right medical professionals. And so, you know, when all this started coming out about the VA, and my, my brother um, is in medical school, and he did rounds at our Philadelphia VA. Um, and Oh, I'm glad you have a brother who's a, yeah. who's a doctor. Yeah, yeah that's um, and, and so, you know, he... Yes, it was not surprising. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a bit about, um, you're an entrepreneur, right? And there are a lot of, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're thinking about your work and your business 24-7. I read that you you completed a leadership advancement course um, at Central Bucks Chamber of Commerce. I did. And my guess is you made the decision to take that course because you had aspirations to, to be a leader. Um, when you think about women entrepreneurs, and we're certainly seeing um, a, a surge of women starting their own businesses, which is so wonderful and exciting, what has been the most difficult thing for you in running your own business, and what do you think it is that um, kind of holds women back from pursuing the same kind of leadership um, and entrepreneurship? I think... Um you know, some things that I, I wish I had known or had other people reach out to me about as I, you know, started uh, business is is the failures that go along with it. Everybody talks about, you know, the successes, the successful businesses, and very, very rarely do you hear about the day-to-day very important failures mm-hmm. that take place, everything from payroll to technology systems to scaling to all of these things that you've never heard about. I I consider myself an entrepreneur by by default. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, moving around with the military, I wanted to maintain a career. And I just, I experienced discrimination as as we moved. And so I felt that, okay, if I'm going to have a career, I, I need to create one. Um, and that's was what it, it your love of writing? What was it in particular that made you follow this route, you know, to do PR and marketing and communications? Um, I always loved the news, and I, I loved the, the stories. Yeah. Okay, you the know, stories. it's yeah. it's a way to tell you know 
stories about how businesses and organizations are are created and getting that message out um and you know that's i like that i like that a lot um but had you asked me prior to uh 2000 i believe nine i would have never told you that i was going to start a business so just having that support network um you know and asking for for that help um, to to explain things, you know, I'm awful with math. I'm a humanities, you know. <laughs> I'm right with you. And, and yeah. you know, balancing your books and and taxes and all of those things. Um, you know, I wish I had reached out to people sooner that were much better at it than I was. And and I think women in particular struggle with that. Yes. They, they don't want to say they don't understand, understand something or they don't know something. And, you know, it is important. You're, you're so right. The, the, some of the greatest lessons are learned. I would say they, the greatest lessons are when we make mistakes mm-hmm. and we fail. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons we do this show. We don't want to just talk about the accolades and the awards and everything that's great. What what has been mistakes so that um, you know we're helping other other women and with M Pitcher um, you know I'm going to de- be developing a, a portion of this new business with lots of content about what to do and what not to do particularly for military spouses that want to start their own businesses um, and the unique challenge I mean I had to move a business three times. And what is that? So, you know, you do a startup once, but, but three times I'm like, okay, but I'm a pro by the third time. (laughs) So maybe I can share my knowledge with somebody else. So that's going to be a a part of this, um, is support for military spouses looking to start their own businesses and, and, uh, kind of a a how to map to get it up off the ground. Terrific. Um, we're at the end of the show. Quickly give, uh, the listeners where, uh, a link where they can find you and your work. Sure. Um, you can go to www.mpitcher.com. Um, If you'd like to find out more about the Global War on Terror Memorial Foundation, it's GWOTMemorialFoundation.org. Thanks, Krista. I appreciate your coming in today. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Have a great week.